Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And Brenna, we are back with a regular sode. We are back with a regular sode. And Joe, you know what's funny? I found this way more escapist than Percy Jackson. I don't even know why, but I completely agree. <laughs> I really sank into this book. Uh, so we're talking about Trinkets by Kirsten Smith and the um, Netflix TV adaptation from 2019. Mm-hmm. I just really, I just got a lot of joy out of this book, Joe. <laughs> Me too. The book was pure joy to yes. read and then the tv show just kind of made me a little bit annoyed but then i tried to take a step back and realize i think if i hadn't read the book i would be fine with the tv show 100% agree 100% agree it's funny this is one of the rare circumstances where i'm not happy they went with the longer form tv adaptation for the book mm-hmm. i really wish they had just made a movie <laughs> this is true yeah because all the stuff they added in is just bonkers silly It is. And before we get into it, we should probably acknowledge that this was a listener request, Brenna. Oh, was it? I didn't know that. I don't pay enough attention to anything. It's completely fine. We're (laughs) in uncharted territories there. So we did get a heads up about this property from a UK listener, Becca, last Mm. August. And Becca, I want to reassure you that I did get your email. It's very thoughtfully composed. Uh, She raises a lot of issues that I'll touch on when we get to the TV adaptation. Oh, good. So we heard from Becca back in August of last year, so a couple months after the TV show had dropped. And then our regular Twitter friend Miriam also indicated that she would like to hear from us about this a little more recently. Right on. Yeah, so thank you both of you for recommending this. And I'm glad we had an opportunity to check it out. This was not at all on my radar. Didn't even know this existed. No, me neither. 100% did not know. Which again, comes back to this weird choice that Netflix has made to no -hmm. longer algorithmize your content, because there's no reason why I shouldn't have been shown this, given my list of proclivities. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, like, I found the book a complete delight. This is a good one, folks. Like, if you're sort of lining up your summer reads, I would say Trinkets is a really good one to put on that pile. Yes, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we are working with an author who has a background in YA films. Yes, yes. So Kirsten Smith is actually the screenwriter of 10 Things I Hate About You, as well as Legally Blonde. So she knows her way around a trope and a female character (laughs) Mm -hmm. that has personality and a little bit of sass, but also some vulnerability under Mm -hmm. the hard exterior. And I feel like Trinkets is really giving us... You know, I don't think it's breaking any fresh ground, nope. but it's doing what it's doing exceedingly well, and I was charmed all the way through. And I will say the extent to which I think it's a different kind of YA comes down to the focus on female friendships. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually is one of my disappointments with the adaptation, is that by way of extending the text, they've really like pumped up the roles of the boys of interest. Yes. And that was like, oh... Really? Because the nice thing about the book is how peripheral all the boyfriends are. Yes. And particularly as you move into the back half of the book where you start to think, okay, we're going to wrap this up. And, you know, spoiler alert, everybody does get their happy ending. Yeah. But the happy ending is primarily about the female friendship. It's not about landing you a man, ladies. Yeah, it's primarily about female friendships or other female relationships, whether it's with moms or stepmoms. Mm-hmm. 
there's a real centering of women's relationships with other women in this book that I found like Joe's right, it's not doing anything sort of groundbreaking, but I did find that sustained care towards women's relationships with other women really refreshing. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that if you don't have that, you're missing an integral part of your identity. Yes, yes. And something that all of the characters come to realize is that friendship matters, but also so too do their intimate domestic relationships matter, right? Like mm-hmm. in profound ways, in ways that are more than, I mean, the lesson that Tabitha has to learn over the course of the narrative is that it actually doesn't matter what your life looks like on Instagram if you're miserable inside it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we should do a plot. Let's do a bit of a plot. <laughs> okay. So Trinkets by Kristen Smith from 2013, which Joe, I kind of was surprised that it's from 2013. I find a lot of the YA we read from the early 2010s tended to be quite nostalgic and looking back to sort of a 2000s era. But mm-hmm. this this book is very aware of social media, of texting, like all those kinds of phenomenon. Yeah, without feeling dated. Without feeling dated. Enough. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. And I it sort of made me sort of linger for a moment on the um, the uh, sustained interest that teen culture has had in Instagram over all that time, right? Other platforms have come mm-hmm. and gone, um, but Instagram is forever. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Alarmingly so. Okay, so... I say as I posted last week's episode on Instagram this morning. (laughs) I love Instagram. I really do. I just find it's easier to weed out the trolls. Okay, so Trinkets by Kristen Smith. It centers on the lives of three teen girls, Tabitha, Elodie, and Mo, short for Maureen. They're all about 16 years old. Tabitha is the hashtag popular girl. (laughs) Elodie is a real wallflower character who sort of feels like she blends into the background everywhere she goes, but uses her good girl image as a cover for lots of things. Right. And Mo, who everyone thinks is a burnout because she hangs out with the burnouts, but she's actually got bigger plans for herself than that. Yeah. Although she is obsessed with the loser neighbor that she's (laughs) had a romantic connection with since forever, except that Noah is obviously garbage. That's kind of the one thing I don't like about the book. I don't want you to get together with this guy. He treats you badly. I wanted her to find her own worth outside of his validation, and instead she finds his validation, which is a shame. Yeah. But all three girls have sort of... uh, complicated backstories so tabitha's parents are wealthy and very sort of it as a power couple in portland where this book takes place Mm -hmm. but tabitha's dad cheats on her mom in a sustained and continuous way and tabitha's very aware of it her mom pretends not to be Um, her mom buys a lot of stuff to sort of fill that gap and so they live in this kind of like interior designed home (laughs) that Mo and Elodie sort of are afraid to touch anything in the house because it's so like perfect. So perfect, yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm thinking of changing the drapes to salmon. Yeah. <laughs> salmon versus taupe. Go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if this is what your life has come down to. Yeah, it's true. It's not good. It's not good. Question your choices. Um, and Elodie, her mum has died. And her father has remarried a much younger woman. She has a really hard time forming a relationship with this new woman, but also she has a really hard time sustaining any kind of relationship with her dad as a result. Yes. And Mo's parents have both died in a car accident. Mm -hmm. 
And Mo carries a lot of guilt about it. She really believes that if she hadn't been so demanding on her birthday, her parents wouldn't have been going out to get her a present and they wouldn't have been killed. And so she lives with her aunt, who's a lovely woman, but kind of has no idea how to interact with her. Or parent in general. Or parent in general. (laughs) She wants Mo to have friends over, but then she gets mad if they make a mess. And you're just like, oh, this is an older lady who never expected to have kids. Exactly. And uh, and her brother as well. So, And her brother is, again, he's a sweet guy, but he's also a bit of a burnout. He Mm -hmm. wants the best for his sister, but he's not really sure how to interact with her either. Yes. And so they're all feeling kind of alienated in their home lives. And they meet at Shoplifters Anonymous. (laughs) Yes, because that's the whole genesis of this book, is that they are all shoplifters, or mostly all shoplifters. I was going to say, or are they? So yeah, they all meet at Shoplifters Anonymous. Tabitha and Elodie and Moe have all been caught in the act of shoplifting, and they've all been mandated by the courts to attend this support group for people who steal. So this is how, even though they run in wildly different social circles at school, or in Elodie's case, no social circle at all, Mm-hmm. They end up bonding because they all share these sort of complicated backstories and this feeling of being wildly misunderstood. And over the course of the narrative, it's the bond between the three girls that allows them to really kind of grow, right? It's not Shoplifters Anonymous that gets them through this phase of their life. It's, no, not it's at the all. friendship that they establish with each other. And over the course of the narrative, we, yeah, we discover that Tabitha steals sort of high-end designer things to feel better about herself. Elodie steals small trinkets that she can kind of pocket away and they're like a sense of security for her. And Mm -hmm. Moe is lying. Moe's lying. Moe doesn't steal (laughs) at all. (laughs) No. Moe is covering for a friend who had a record and took the fall for shoplifting. That's how she ends up in Shoplifters Anonymous. And she starts off just going because she kind of likes to make fun of the other shoplifter anonymous people in her head. Yeah, because Mo's a bit of a jerk. Mo's a bit of a dick, yeah. And what Mo <laughs> learns over the course of the narrative is to be a little gentler with other people and to be a little gentler with herself. Mm-hmm. To let your friend fall in love with your older brother. Yes, yes. Um, and Elodie establishes this identity as like this perfect little nice girl, which lets her get away with a lot. In fact, she can steal more than any of the others because yes. of that. And yeah, so the narrative is just about their growing relationship and the way they navigate each other's different trials and tribulations. And at the end of the narrative, Tabitha and Elodie have decided they're going to give up shoplifting and they donate everything that they have stolen to a woman's shelter. And Tabitha and her mother establish a much stronger relationship in the wake of her father leaving. Elodie finds the strength to give her new stepmom a chance to try to bond Mm -hmm. with her a little bit. And in so doing, is able to reestablish a relationship with her dad, who she comes to realize that she has missed quite profoundly. And Mo gets Noah. (laughs) Mo's happy ending is the worst one. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. But they're all very content. I think that's actually one of the beautiful things about this book in this particular moment is you keep expecting it to have like this extremely dark core because that's just what we've been dealing with so much. And in, yeah. and when it doesn't, it's just such a blessed relief. It's true. Like the central conflict, like the third act conflict of this book is that they find out that Mo has been lying and yes. they question the validity of their friendship. And that is such a gentle conflict in a YA property that Mm -hmm. I really appreciated it, which is kind of weird when you think about the fact that this is a book that also deals with abuse in a romantic partnership. 
Yeah, and it deals, so um, Tabitha dates Brady, who is the most popular boy at school. She's the most popular girl at school. It's one of those, like, we're together because we can't really imagine not being together. Mm -hmm. But he's awful. He's awful. And he's violent with her, but not in... Not in an after-school special kind of way, right? Like, there's no sort of giant scene where he, like, I don't know. He never, like, backhands her. No. He keeps an eye on her. And he grabs her too forcefully. And he makes her feel uncomfortable in all the ways that someone who loves you shouldn't. Yes, and it's perfect. It's perfect for the context of this story because it feels so real and so possible. And the girls support... Tabitha through it in ways that feel really real and authentic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maddeningly so from an adult perspective. Like, oh, yeah. really just want somebody tell to tell a parent. Adult. Like, any <laughs> adult. Any the adult. love of God. If we take anything away from any of these YA properties, it's that if you are hiding a secret as a teen, tell Please an adult. Just tell an adult. But <laughs> the flip side of that is that it feels very authentic and honest, the way yes. that that storyline gets resolved. And what Tabitha finds is the strength to remove herself from the situation, but also recognizes in herself what has kept her mother in a very unhappy relationship and realizes Mm -hmm. she doesn't want that for herself moving forward either, right? Yes. That Brady is a sign of what's to come and Mm -hmm. that she has to extract herself from the relationship with Brady because of her whole future. I love the mirroring that happens in Tabitha's relationship with her parents as well as her relationship with Brady. Like, she is so clearly modeling her high school relationship on what she thinks she needs to become, which is her parents. And it's only in seeing that her parents are completely projecting a facade that she comes to realize, oh, wow, I'm just replicating something that I shouldn't actually be wanting. I think that that's exactly right. And... I get, I don't know, there's something so powerful about that storyline for me, mm-hmm. because I think it's because the two women come to find a way forward together, and that felt radical to me, even if nothing else in the book is particularly groundbreaking. Yeah, like you expect that her father is going to move out by the end of the book, and it happens. But what you don't expect is how cathartic it feels when she and her mother reconnect. Yes. And her mother's like, oh, I put the renovations on hold. Because her mother has also grown in the background. Yes. (laughs) The mother's not even really a character, and yet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked it. I really thought it was just beautifully well done. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about some of the formal innovations in this book? Because I was not expecting one character to write entirely in verse. I loved that! <laughs> I knew you would! <laughs> it took me ages to figure out that that's what's happening. Because we're reading ebooks because we can't get physical books anymore. Yeah. So I was reading it and I thought, oh, there's just something wrong with the formatting. Well, because it happens all the time, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Elodie speaks entirely in verse. Or thinks yes. entirely in verse. And I love, I was about to say, I love that choice for her journey. Um, yes. It's so Elodie, right? It's like it so feels Elodie. integral to this character. Yes. Part of what is so essential about Elodie's character in terms of the triad of friends is that she sees the world profoundly differently than the other two do, right? She doesn't yes. have a social circle. She's sort of been adopted by one friend at school who she doesn't really like. She's working on the yearbook, even though she has no interest in doing it because she thought it'd be the easiest way to make friends. Yes. And it's one of those, I know. (laughs) And, you know, she's new to town. She's moved because of, um, now, see, I'm mixing up with the the TV show. She and her dad have moved to town because of her dad's work, right? That's what's happened. 
Yes, he got a better job. That's it. And he moved them. Yes. And yes? S- <laughs> yes, I believe so. And so she's been removed from her social circle. And so, you know, her mother has not recently died the way she has in the TV series, but she is still grieving her mother. Yes. She's not happy with her home life, and she's now been uprooted from her social system. So Elodie's view of the world is very much that of an outsider. And to represent that formally through having this teenage Mm -hmm. girl who thinks entirely in poetry, I really enjoyed. I thought it worked really well. Yes, it definitely distinguishes her immediately from the other two girls, but it also just kind of cements that she is a little bit different from everybody else. Yes, and her outsider status is really important to how she navigates the world and also to how she's able to be so good at shoplifting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is really a continued narrative for all of the girls, right? Like Tabitha is much deeper than her image at school would have you assume. Of course. Mo is much more complicated than just being a burnout stoner kid. Mm-hmm. And Elodie is much darker than her sort of prissy good girl image would have you believe. So all three of the girls are really living through this sense that they aren't who they appear to be, Mm -hmm. but also navigating who they are if they're not who they appear to be. Yeah. And I think that ties in really well with the fixture of social media Mm -hmm. in the book. And it's done pretty well in the TV show as well where you recognize that social media gives you this other opportunity to put up a wall between who you really are and who the world either expects you to be or who you're trying to pretend you are. Right. And it comes down to these little choices. Like, I love how Mo's secret shame is that she loves pop Pop music. Pop (laughs) music! And she makes Tabitha a burnt CD of all of the songs that she should listen to. Like, one of the entries in Mo's chapters is literally just the playlist of the album she made for Tabitha. Yes. Which, P.S. is really good music. It's really great! I want to listen to that (laughs) CD! I was a little bit disappointed that that line got dropped from the adaptation. Mm Mm-hmm. The adaptation is an extremely cool soundtrack. Oh, yes, yes. It's Portland's indie rock scene. No pop at all. No pop at all, yeah. We didn't talk about that, but another formal innovation is that the book is told from all three perspectives, so it rotates through. And I quite liked, I mean, it's obviously easy to tell which ones are Elodie's because, you know, they're poetry. But I also thought you can really see Kristen Smith, the screenwriter here, in the careful ear for dialogue and voice. Like, you can tell whose chapter is whose without seeing the header. Like, you know exactly whether it's Mo or um, Tabitha Mm -hmm. just by the way they view the world, the way they describe things. And that ear is really well tuned. And I think it works really well because of that. It could feel really repetitive if the girls didn't have such clearly divergent voices. Mm-hmm. And and even just little choices like the way that each chapter begins with a bullet point of something that will happen in that section. Yes. Which I just think is clever. Like it's teasing you of things to come, but it's not overly complicated. Yes. It helps keep you oriented too, because because you have three perspectives, you're often rereading the same moment from Mm -hmm. three different perspectives and so yeah having those bullet points helps you to just sort of navigate and yet it never feels like you're getting the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. yeah i just think overall this book is delightful it's very charming it was kind of everything that i really needed right now Mm -hmm. if that doesn't sound too facetious (laughs) no i agree completely i was um 
I was stunned by how much I enjoyed it, to be honest, and how quickly I blew through it. And I really do think it's an ideal, perfect, I was going to say beach read. You can't go to a beach. Mm. It's a perfect sitting on a balcony read. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super fast read. Just very delightful. Great characters. Great writing. Yeah. It's a big recommend for me. And it's just super fun. It was just fun. And if you're looking for some freaking fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> some fun, some female friendship, and our promise to you of a happy ending, you could check this one out. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about not quite as happy an ending <laughs> in the Netflix TV adaptation. <gasps> Why everything got to get so dark when it goes to Netflix, Joe? <sighs> You're talking Riverdale and 13 Reasons Why, baby. Uh-huh. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I do. I'm Sean. And I'm a kleptomaniac. We've got a lot of new faces today. Feel welcome to share. You guys know each other? No. Better keep an eye on that one. Let's see who can get the best in the shortest amount of time. Fine. There are three basic rules of shoplifting. And kids, don't try this at home. Number one, be invisible. I don't understand how I got here. Life is oppressive. Not why you steal. Two, only left with people you trust. I feel so alone here. Who doesn't? It's gonna be okay. And three, Whatever you do, don't get caught. Come with me. <laughs> Holy shit. The three of us are just meant to be. You have a real problem. The only thing that makes any of it worthwhile is having someone to share it with. It feels good to put our truths into the universe. Why does coming here make me want to steal more than ever? Work the steps, mama. Okay, so Trinkets is adapted by a pair of screenwriters, Amy Andelson and Emily Meyer, and they kind of come as a pair. So they've done two previous co-authored pieces, one of which is Step Up 3D, the third entry in the Step Up series. Oh. A lot of fun. And then they also did a previous Netflix movie called Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List, which is something that we could consider doing later. Because I believe it's an adaptation. I was going to say it sounds like a title from um, like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist kind of. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's the exact same concept. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, so we have Brianna Hildebrand as Elodie, and she's the person that I recognize the most from this, so... Because she's the Negasonic Teenage Warhead. She is that, yeah. She's also (laughs) been in a bunch of other things. She was in the Exorcist TV show, the second season, as well as a really fantastic, very social media literate horror satire called Tragedy Girls. And if you want to see her range, I would highly encourage people to check her out in those other two properties, because here... She's very Elodie, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's very mopey. She's kind of tragically dressed. And I love the physical performance that Brianna Hildebrand is giving. She kind of has a bit of a a step stutter. Like she walks like she's carrying around weights. And it's a great way to distinguish between her and the more flighty, fancy free girls in this TV show. But in the other properties, she's like, she's got a really good range to her. Right. 
the other girls are Kiana Madeira as Mo and Quintessa Swindell as Tabitha. And they're both relative newcomers, I think, right? Like, I don't yeah. think we should recognize them from anything. I looked them up and I was kind of like, no, I don't really see you in anything else. Mm-hmm. We've got Henry Zaga as Luca, who is taking over the Mark character, a.k.a. Mo's brother. So this is Tabitha's love interest. And Brenna, you will recognize Henry Zaga. Ugh. <laughs> we have encountered him before. He was the boyfriend in Looking for Alaska, the college boyfriend of Alaska. And then the other boys of note are Brandon Butler as Brady. And Ugh. he is apparently from 13 Reasons Yeah, he Why. is. Plays Scott. Yeah. This guy just capitalizes the market on playing bullies, apparently. Yeah, literally all he does is just play gross, awful characters on Netflix adaptations. That's like his whole deal. But he's really, like, he is so punchable in mm-hmm. this show. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a really great job of being an a-hole. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final link is Odysseus Georgiatis as Noah. So obviously one big, big distinction right off the bat for this TV show is that we are going in with diversity casting in mind mm-hmm. because we are in the year 2019. So Tabitha is now black. Noah is now black. And Elodie is also a lesbian in the TV show. Yeah. And it's interesting because in the book, Christian Smith doesn't describe uh, their skin tone a lot. We get a reference to Mo being dark, quite dark, mm-hmm. but not anything to discuss like ethnicity or background or or family history or anything like that yes so i liked that they leaned into it it's a good choice right because it just looks more authentically like what an urban high school would look like Mm -hmm. yeah when i was checking on reviews of the show there aren't a ton this really flew under the radar for a lot of people i think it just kind of got dropped on netflix as we've talked about before Mm -hmm. see previous episode the expanding universe of ashley garcia In this case, a couple of people who did take note were papers or publications that are based in the Portland area because Mm -hmm. it's a relatively important part of the book, but it's a huge part of this TV adaptation. Like this is actually shot in Portland where it is based and they make a lot. I mean, I wouldn't know because I've never been to Portland, but apparently they made very deliberate effort to name drop particular neighborhoods. There's a shot of the bridge in the party episode, which is like a very well-known Portland fixture. Mm -hmm. So they took a lot of care and effort to make sure that Portland is an actual character in this TV show. And people praised it for saying, oh yeah, and this also reflects the diversity of Portland's population. We are not all just white hipsters. Yeah, and much more complexly than something like like a Portlandia, for example, right? I'd rather not talk about Portlandia. <laughs> Fred Armisen and I do not get along. Does he know? <laughs> uh, if he doesn't, he does now. <laughs> so this TV show, if people have not already checked it out, is 10 episodes long in the first season, which I didn't realize that we were dealing with a two-season TV show. So the second season, as of the date of this recording, has not yet come out. It's expected to drop later this year. I was annoyed. Yeah. Because this doesn't even feel like we're wrapping up season one. It's we are mid-story, ending on a cliffhanger. Please come back next year. It's honestly more like a 20-episode season that has a break in the middle of it for no reason like it feels really weird and there's no call for it to be this long there's absolutely no need (laughs) even though these episodes are almost all under 30 minutes which was a small blessing i actually feel like the episodes themselves are quite well paced i do too 
there's no reason why this couldn't have been wrapped up in 10 episodes. Definitely. And in fact, I, for some reason, had remembered you saying that there were six episodes in the season. Oh, that is, nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I got to the end of episode six and I was like, wait, Where what? are these other episodes coming from? And then it was like, next episode. And I was like, no, no, I, I'm done now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am done. <laughs> I finished watching the show. And then it's like... I feel like the problem is, is that the show actually peaks yes. around episode five and six. Yes. So it's where we've got the great party episode, which is my favorite episode of this first season. Mm -hmm. And then we've got the episode where they steal the car. And that's to me where the series starts to go off the rails. Because all yes. of a sudden, folks, we have Grand Theft Auto and we're all lying to protect the fact that we have pushed Brady's car into a lake. Yes. And that specter looms large over the back half of the season to the point oh boy maybe this is where i should bring in becca our listener friend becca yeah. who recommended this to us so she talks about how much she likes the book and how it really works and then she says i did enjoy the tv series and the fact that it was co-created by smith and two other women makes me want to love and support it more she does actually mention it's the second season so i should have paid closer attention to <laughs> But here's where she says, so it is flawed, and I feel like its potential wasn't quite achieved. Although there's some racial diversity, and Elodie is gay, everyone is beautiful, and the mm -hmm. same slim body type. Mm -hmm. One of the relationships that I think we're meant to see as romantic is somewhat problematic. Becca, you are underselling this. It is hugely problematic for me. Mm -hmm. She doesn't actually specify, so I'm actually assuming on Becca's behalf that she is talking about Elodie's relationship with Sabine the older yes. singer. So in this, they introduce the idea that Luca is an older character at the Shoplifters Anonymous and Tabitha gets interested in him. Which is and, problematic and troubled. Which is also <laughs> problematic. But he works at a bar that has live music. And one night, Elodie goes with Tabitha. And he puts, and sorry, he puts the girls on the guest list. That's how they can always get into this bar. Yeah, they're seniors in the TV show, but they're yeah. still underage, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, I mean, we go to Tabitha's 17th birthday party. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> and Elodie ends up having a meet cute with Sabine, who is the lead singer of a local band. And it starts off very sweet. And then you find out later that Sabine has been in a weird relationship that she refuses to define with Luca, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons Luca moves out and he and Tabitha have a cute incident where she helps him unpack his new place. But then the season ends with <sighs> the discovery of Elodie's stash. Yep. And she ends up going on, not the run, but she basically runs, she runs away, away from home. Yeah. So that she can go on the road. She with gets Sabine in the scary lady's band. car, Joe. It's so upsetting. I hate that scene. Yes, but I feel like the show doesn't pass judgment on this no. in the way that it should. It so it suggests like, judgment. oh, she's running away from home. This isn't a good idea. But it doesn't say, hey, you're getting into a car with a person you barely know yeah. who is a compulsive liar and made you shoplift for her on your first date. Yeah. It's so gross. And I was really put off. It's a lot of boundary violations in that relationship. Like every time Elodie tries, and Elodie is not very assertive, no. even less so in the adaptation than in the book. And when anytime Elodie does try to assert a boundary, like she doesn't steal from mom and pop businesses. Mm -hmm. She doesn't steal from small stores, right? And so then Sabine makes her and it's awful. And you just have this sense that Elodie is 
absolutely being divorced from any sense of her own agency i hated it mm-hmm. and watching her get in that car i was like full mom mode like nope 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 yeah oh yeah 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 <sighs> yeah and i feel like the the only kind of silver lining in this is that so i watched this with subtitles on and it's hard to hear but the subtitles make it very clear that there are sirens pursuing the van at oh, the end of the season i didn't catch that yeah so the inference is meant to be that she will not get far before this comes back to haunt her. So we don't have to worry about touching base with her and Sabine in a foreign city, or at least I hope not. God, I hope not. And then I also, I don't like the Luca and Tabitha storyline either. No. Okay, so if he's old enough to be to working in a bar, then mm-hmm. he's 21, 21 at a minimum, right? Yep. So he's a grown-ass man living in a house and then an apartment by himself, and she she has just left one abusive relationship only to sort of roll into this inappropriately older guy relationship. And, you know, Luca does not come across as... He's not meant to be creepy. And obviously this guy is charming and likable, but it's not subtle to me and you, I think because we're adults, but there is a a predatory He feels very predatory. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting because his analog character in the book, this friend of Moe's who's sort of always kind of around, they know really only through SA is much more harmless and so i at first i was like oh he's this harmless guy and then i realized that he's really not harmless Mm-mm. and i again felt like the show was pretty chill about that relationship in a way that made me really uncomfortable well okay so it's especially odd because things really come to a head when the girls ditch the big dance and they go to the house party at luca and sabine's Okay, so they all do MDMA or Molly, and they're kind of tripping, and it helps to, in ways that drugs do, it helps to liberate them and open their tongues a little bit so that they're a little bit more forthcoming than they might normally be. But there's this great scene where in this episode, Mo is just looking to forget Noah, who she has a crush on, but she she is the one who refuses to publicly acknowledge it in the TV show. That's mm-hmm. a separate thing we'll talk about in a moment. Didn't mm-hmm. work for me at all. Mm-mm. In this episode, she just wants to hook up with a random stranger, which Tabitha applauds because as teenage girls, I guess you do. But uh, she actually ends up making out with a guy, but he he kind of gently chastises her for being so formal because she asks if she can kiss him. And she says, consent is sexy. And I thought that was great. Yeah. I was so on board with that. I was like, okay, this is obviously very 2019. We're not talking about consent in 2013. But for the TV show, it was great. I thought it was an empowering message to deliver to teen girls who were the primary audience. And then like two scenes later, we've got this moment with Luca where he puts his hand on Tabitha's back. Yep. And she's the one who says, like, I'm not ready for this. And he's like, you know what? You're in charge, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're already violating her by touching her without her consent. She's upset and you shouldn't be touching her. It was such a weird dichotomy to have in the exact same episode. It's almost like the show doesn't know what it wants to do with that character. No. You're 100% meant to think that he is a romantic Mm -hmm. opportunity for Tabitha. Like, he is the right choice where Brady is the wrong choice. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. None of the boy characters work in this show. Strongly agree. None of them do. It's interesting because for someone who is so keenly attuned to young women, the young men all seem to, I don't know, they all just kind of, it's like a squash game. Like they go from one extreme to the other. 
Noah is supposed to be great because he's willing to just wait for Mo to get around to liking him publicly. Mm-hmm. And he says the right things. Like when Mo punches Brady out, he's like, Yeah, That's he immediately awesome. is on her side. He's immediately on her side without any question. But then, you know, he hooks up with another girl to get back at her emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I usually I think I would applaud the complexity of a character who has that kind of range. But here, I just can't decide what the show is intending for me to think of these people. And so it's frustrating to see a character like Noah treated effectively with the same kind of gentleness as a predator like Luca. That's weird. I think what you're highlighting is the fact that these characters are inconsistently drawn. Yes. They seem to change based on the episodes and (laughs) what the narrative needs from them in order to prolong what's going on. Yes, I agree. That's very frustrating to watch as a viewer. So if you've read the book and then you watch the TV show, there's a ton of moments where you just sit back and think, I don't understand this creative choice because it's needlessly complex. So the car is like the big thing that I I don't understand. But even stuff like Mo's relationship with Noah, I don't know what the TV show gains from having her be the one who doesn't accept him. No. It initially presents as, oh, it's subversive. It's a girl who's in control and she can't accept the fact that she wants to be with this guy. And it feels wasted. Like, I don't understand why this is a point of conflict because it's never clear why Mo feels like she can't be with him. And then just when you think that they should be exploring it in greater detail because it's ramping up, we get this dumb storyline with her dad who literally doesn't ever show up. Yeah. Which I assume will get addressed in the second season. But again, I was like, I don't need this. Yeah, so Mo's backstory is wildly different. She doesn't have dead parents and she doesn't have a sibling, I don't think. Nope, she does not. It's just her and her mom and her dad is in prison. Mm -hmm. And like many of the changes in the adaptation, I just don't understand why. No. I don't know what we gain from it, except that, you know, effectively the Tabitha's mom relationship happens between Mo and her mom instead. And then all of the dead parent energy is really invested into Elodie and her situation. Yeah. But it just seems like it's complicating these backstories needlessly and without payoff. And I don't Mm -hmm. understand it. Well, it's particularly frustrating if the thing that you and I gravitated to most strongly in the book, which was the female friendships, Mm -hmm. really gets sidelined for more traditional romantic relationships in the TV show. And I was about to say male-female relationships. It's kind of true because there's so much drama between Tabitha and Brady and then Noah and Moe. And then there's like a curious sexlessness in Elodie. Like it's revealed that she's a virgin. She's never really had a girlfriend. She's been lying about this girl that she left behind because she is a new transplant in this TV show. But her mom has only recently died in a car accident that she blames herself for. So she gets the Moe storyline. Like they're still having the the court stuff Mm -hmm. that's how recently yeah and so the dad isn't a grieving widow in this version of the story he's a divorcee from some time ago i mean long enough ago that there's a sibling right and so it changes that family dynamic so much and there's very little of interest in this family dynamic like jenna the stepmother is not a presence no 
we do have a younger brother situation, which basically just gets used as a plot point. He gets lost in one episode, and then he finds her stash in another episode, so he basically just ruins her life. Yeah, it's very much like, yes, I love you. (laughs) This younger sibling energy. (laughs) And also, you know... (sighs) Elodie comes off as a lot more manipulative here, too, because we do see her trying to give some space to Jenna, the stepmom, and and attempting to sort of make that relationship work, but only in the context of trying to get out of her grounding, right? So we see this, like, really cute dinner table scene that gets completely undercut because we realize that... She just wants to go on a date with Sabine. Yeah, she's only doing it to get out of the house and go on this date. And, And so this idea of young women as complex members of social networks and familial relations really gets erased by Mm -hmm. the obsessive interest in romantic storylines and particularly the heterosexual romantic storylines but romantic Mm -hmm. storylines anyway they supersede friendship and they supersede familial relations and that's like as I said, the only interesting thing the book was doing really I mean I I enjoyed the book but in terms of like wow this is refreshing that was their thing yeah Not to seem like we're hating on the TV show, as we mentioned, you know, I think this would be quite good if you hadn't read the book. Agreed. Totally agreed. It'd feel like a safe option. I did want to highlight the fact that I think the Tabitha Brady stuff is well handled. I agree. Until the car, I agree. Yeah, until the car. The car, honestly, just, it's such a glaring, obvious, bad, creative decision that the show is making. Like, we need to juice this up somehow. It reminds me so much of Anne with an E. Like, and now yes. we need a heist story. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Even though that particular episode, even, I quite enjoyed it. Yes. Because it's the closest we get to the female bonding. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, I I think that the two actors, Tabitha and Brady, they're playing this relationship very well. Not just because, you know, he's so hissably villainous. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think he is. Like, that's one of the things that I think works well, is that he doesn't see himself. Yep as a bad guy nope like the relationship between tabitha and her mom where her mom can't understand why she's pushing brady away or why she won't just give him another chance it's so horrible to watch right because this is what happens when you don't believe women when you don't scratch under the surface of why has something suddenly changed there's this great moment where tabitha has her birthday on a boat she's outside and she's leaning against the rails and she's she's basically pondering how her life has not come together the way she expects it and how she's displeased with this party and brady nearly pushes her off the boat yeah and it's shocking it is shocking because he doesn't think he's done anything and she she is terrified for her life like he could have pushed her off that and probably gotten away with it if we're being honest so i just really like those kinds of moments and what it reveals about how her mom because in this one her mom is a social media wannabe influencer and tabitha has this secret instagram account where she posts basically cries for help (laughs) those were like the kind of character beats that i really felt the tv show was doing in a different way but it was working for it Totally agreed. I think that there's a lot that's being said in that relationship between Tabitha and Brady about, I don't know, I've seen some people write about this as a failure of empathy, where young men who assert that there is no such thing as rape culture are Mm -hmm. really 
just not able to fully empathize with the experience of young women who are growing up in it. And that is not to discount that sexual assault happens to young men as well. It absolutely does. But the particular gender dynamic that -hmm. exists where a guy like Brady can really genuinely believe he's a good guy, even as he enacts all of these things, I think is really honest and a complex and difficult thing to do. And as much as I dislike the character, he's doing a good job with the role. And it's not so over the top, like, again, he's no, not that's exactly punching it. her in the face, but he, like, you know, the sex scene that we see between the two of them where he keeps putting his hand on her hair and yeah. she tells him, ow, and he doesn't care because he's only interested in his own pleasure. Yeah. Those small moments of violence and trauma, I just think they're so subtle, the show doesn't need to hit you over the head with it, and I really applauded that. I agree completely. Okay, so unfortunately not great. I didn't mind watching it, but towards the end, it felt like a bit of a slog. Like, okay, I've got two more episodes left. Let's try to power through them. Yeah, I wouldn't try to um, marathon this one like I did. I don't think that that I don't think that does it any favors for the way it's extending out a narrative that probably didn't need to be extended. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, shall we do some YA bingo? We shall. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. What have you got? It was very funny. One of the reviews that I read said that the TV show mostly eschews tropes. And I just love it. <laughs> All right. Well, under the B, we have <laughs> perfect date and gaslighting. Yes. yes. I would add musicality in there as well. Oh, yeah. I think especially actually more in the book because I found it's interesting. This is a soundtrack in the TV adaptation that I would have found really cool and interesting and exciting about three years ago and now i'm just like okay i'm done with indie rock soundtracks yes if you're not a fan of that type of music this will not work for you but i will say that there is an entire spotify playlist of all of the songs it's like 200 songs long i enjoyed kind of giving it a little listen (laughs) under the eye rich people problems mediocre white boys queer or slutty secondary characters and sexual awakening oh my gosh we got a line (laughs) we got a line Under the N, we definitely have dead parents. Oh, so much dead parents action. Under the G, we have abuse and unlikely friendships. Okay. And under the O... I got love triangle. I could buy a love triangle. Particularly, I think, if you want to focus in on Mo, Noah, and then Kayla's relationship. I mean, she's not really a character, but at the same time... I mean, I think the more obvious way to go is Tabitha Brady, Luca, slash Mark. And we've also got... Luca, Sabine, and whoever wanders into their orbit. Right, yes. <laughs> I did appreciate the fact that the TV show gently said that Sabine doesn't use labels. I thought yeah. that that was an interesting way of addressing it. Although I will say my husband, Brian, who was kind of casually watching over my shoulder, was quite annoyed that this was another example of a queer relationship that just can't be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like Elodie literally can't catch a break mm-hmm. because of course the only queer possibility for uh for a teenager in any world is a evil predatory lesbian maybe yeah. question mark who yeah. more or less child abducts her by the end of the season yep it's awful that's all uh the final one that i had was growing apart if you want to argue tabitha growing apart from her old clique oh okay i buy that friends I'll or buy that for no even leaving her burnouts a little bit well and elodie breaking up with stephanie right yeah, yeah. okay i like okay. that uh so tropey as hell 
Tropey as hell. Super tropey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Joe. Yes. If people want to tell you that it's not tropey, how would they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray on the Twitters. That's Gray with an A. And you can find us at the hashtag HKHSPod to get both of us. Mm-hmm. And if you've got something longer you want to send us, it's HKHSPod at gmail.com. Yes. And next week, Joe. So next week, we are doing what would initially appear to be a regular sode, but we're going to phone in 50%. So <laughs> Joe didn't want to read Cyrano de Bergerac, everybody. That's what's happening here. I absolutely <laughs> do not. Yeah. <laughs> so under listener Andrew's recommendation, next week, we are going to be checking out a new Netflix movie called The Half of It, which is a queer version of Cyrano de Bergerac. And then just because it was kind of on the list, and I think it'll be interesting for comparison's sake, we're also going to check out Sierra Burgess is a Loser, which is the same idea, but I have a feeling not as successfully handled. And then our next regular sode coming up, because Joe hates me, apparently we're doing Catching Fire, the second book of the Hunger Games series. Yes, so we're doing that to tie into the release of the new prequel that's coming out on apparently the same day as that episode. Which Joe is also making me read. Well, now you're just spoiling everything. <laughs> yes, so we're going we're gonna to take a, a week of minisode where we talk a little bit about Cyrano de Bergerac, and then we're going to spend two weeks in the world of the Hunger Games, folks. Anyway, I guess I'm still doing this show. So... Uh... <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I really do think you should take a look at Trinkets, the book. It is a great summer read, and I think you'll enjoy it, especially Mm -hmm. if you're longing for some good old-fashioned, I was going to say good old-fashioned, some female friendships like you don't normally get to see them. Mm -hmm. So until next time, folks, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen.